0: Well, my name is Matt. Uh, Welcome to Park Church again. We are glad to see all of you here this morning. Um, If you're if you're if you're very new, you know that I don't um, that I haven't been up here in a few. Actually, you won't know that. You will learn that I haven't been up here in a few weeks. Um, It's been great to have a few weeks off to be able to just take some time off, but also to focus on some other things. But I watched. I want to thank Bill for uh, speaking last week, and for Andy for speaking two weeks before that. I think they did great. Uh, it's great to have so many people here um, who are just good at doing this and good at teaching. So thank you, Bill. Thank you. Um, I was able to take a little bit of time off last week, my wife, Amanda, and I. We went to Brooklyn for the night. This was part of uh, a Christmas gift to me was a night over in Brooklyn, which I realized to people who like, don't know, doesn't sound like a good gift. Because who wants to go to Brooklyn? But there is a number of um, establishments in Brooklyn that I just love. And so it was just uh, food and drink and Brooklyn, and it was wonderful. If you're anything like me, though, when you go somewhere, you like to know what you're getting into. I love reviews. So when I'm buying a product, I want to I, I, I read about it on Amazon. right? If I'm going to a restaurant, Yelp, um, Hotel, TripAdvisor. So we were going to stay at the Hilton, in the middle of Brooklyn. And so I wanted to do a little bit of research into uh, what this hotel was all about and what it was like. And so I read some reviews. And I want to share with you some of what I think are the highlights of these (laughs) reviews. Um, This is all from TripAdvisor. Hotel location's great. Was hopping. This would be our go-to hotel in Brooklyn. She means hoping. Just spent three nights there, and the bed in the room was too soft. Uncomfortable. Okay. Uh, Next one, common areas are small. The restaurant, breakfast, is understaffed. The room, upgrade, provided no obvious benefits, and the room decor is outdated and just not appealing. And that includes the hall carpet, which is a repeating pattern of a frayed rope, (laughs) which is an odd message. (laughs) It's a nautical theme, so it's like a frayed rope. It is an odd message. A lady with a ponytail approached the table with such a cold and not a pleasant demeanor, asked if I want coffee. No hello, no smile. Brought the coffee as though she was doing me a favor. (laughs) Um, I love this line, ends with an exclamation point, poor quality linens. Location good, but there was construction so hard for Uber drivers to find the entrance. It's important, again, will not stay there because of that. this next one, please see attached, which I don't have attached, but it was a picture of a bug. It said, go to this Hilton, Brooklyn, only if you want bed bugs, and then to be ignored for 30 minutes and two phone calls when you report it, and not even receive an apology for your experience when you check out of the front desk, burning my clothes when I go home. <laughs> um, it does not have bed bugs. It's a really nice hotel, and it's pretty brand new. This is my favorite line uh, of any review I think I've ever read. The cost of this hotel does not justify the nonsense I am dealing with. <laughs> I love it. It doesn't justify the nonsense. Um, I like I like to read these reviews because I mean, for one hand, you know, like on one hand, it gives you a good window into what the experience will be like, but I also like to see what other people think is important. Like, when I go to a hotel, I don't care what the design on the carpet looks like. That has no bearing on whether I'm going to come back or not. But for some people, it does, right? Um, I just find it interesting what kind of, you know, what kind of things matter to people. Um, when you leave a hotel, a lot of times you get one of those little like scorecard things to be able to rate your experience and it's, it's cleanliness and it's friendliness of staff and all that sort of stuff, but that's not actually what matters in people's minds. It's like the potential of a bed bug, which actually doesn't exist, or it's the design of the carpet. These are the things that matter. It, you know, in, in people's minds, that's what's worth um, rating the hotel experience on. And when I started thinking about this, I started just thinking about life and if you know, if you had a scorecard for life, like, what would be on that scorecard? And, and the fact is, we all have these. We don't actually, like, have scorecards written out. But we all think about, like, what are the things that actually matter in my life and how am I doing on them? Things like, um, how is my marriage? Is it happy or unhappy? Am I married or am I not married? Like, kids. Um, am I finding fulfillment through my kids? Are my kids happy? You know, is that like a one star, or a three star, a five star, right? Right? Um, Am I finding fulfillment in my job? If I were to be, you know, if we were to be honest with one another, it probably would be things like, um, what's the size of my house compared to the other people who I know? Or um, how nice is my car compared to other people? Or what kind of position, what kind of power, what kind of status do I have compared with other people? And we kind of go through life with this set of like, basically of metrics for deciding what's good and what's not good in life, and how do I rate, how do I rank? Um, A few years ago, my wife and I were doing one of those, like, marriage program things where you, you know, talk about marriage and all that. Um, And they had us basically fill out a scorecard for our marriage. What were the things that were uh, important to us? And when you actually put it down on paper, you can get a sense for how you're doing and what are the things that you're ignoring and whatnot. It's a very useful tool, let's say. Then I started thinking about faith. And if you were to have a faith scorecard... What will go on that scorecard? Thinking back for like 2018, how would you rate your faith year? Right, um, you know, I spent this much time in prayer. Or uh, every day, I managed to have meaningful prayer time. And, and saying God bless you, or like saying Jesus Christ as like a curse, doesn't count as meaningful prayer time. Right. Um, Or, like, this is how much Bible I got through. This is how much Bible I read. I was able to read it once a day. I was able to read it um, twice. I was able to read it once a week. Or, you know, like, a zero star rating is like, I didn't read the Bible at all that past year. Or things like, I was able to come to worship, come on Sundays, every Sunday. Or I was able to come um, once a month. Or I didn't come at all. I got, you know, no stars for that. Um, Thinking about what, what our scorecard includes. And... There's kind of like a flippant part of me that wants to include on my faith scorecard that like I think I'm doing better than other people and that's like a four out of five, right? Or um, I avoided the things that I know God probably doesn't want me to do and that, that kind of gives me a high ranking. The fact is we all have these kinds of scorecards of faith and we don't talk about it like this and we don't um, actually have one that we write and whatnot, but we have them. And here's what's weird, I think, about it. When we're new to faith, um, that scorecard is a very, it's a very kind of fragile thing. So when you're new to faith, a lot of the times um, the things that you rank are like how you feel about faith. Whether you're on fire, whether you still have that sort of wonder that you once did. And as time goes on, if you lose it, um, does your faith go away because you just don't have that anymore? Or when you're new to faith, a lot of times your scorecard um, is just based on what you imagine God wants you to do. And it's kind of ambiguous, and you're not quite sure what it is that God wants. A lot of times when you're new to faith, you don't actually think about evaluating your faith. And so what happens is months go by or years go by, and then all of a sudden, you don't feel the way that you once did. You're not on fire like you once were, and you wonder why. Um, You don't really know what you're shooting for, what you're aiming for. And so you think, you know, years later, when you take out your scorecard, um, you're getting all zero stars, right? Right? Or what happens when you're not new to faith, but when you're old to faith, when you've been around for a while, is our scorecards can become quite cumbersome. They can become um, layer after layer of things that we're supposed to do and are not doing, or things we think we should be doing or we're not doing, or they become very particular. They become so colored by a past experience. For instance, um, maybe you were part of a church that like hammered on the rules. Or you were part of a family that just hammered on rules. It was rules, rules, rules. But um, now that you're not there and you're liberated from that, any sort of inkling of rules is like absolutely not, right? And so your scorecard is based on like anytime there's a rule, um, you just ignore it and that goes away. Or maybe, maybe... Maybe you're from a place where um, just it was all Bible reading. It was all Scripture. Scripture sc- you Memorize it, know it, read it every day, read it multiple times a day. Um, and that, that is where your scorecard is based off of. None of that's bad, of course, to read Scripture every day. Um, but one of the problems is, well, actually, there's a lot of problems with these scorecards. They're all potentially flawed in one way or another. In a lot of ways... Um, They become complicated, they become self-defeating, they become contradictory sometimes, like like one metric works against another metric. A lot of times they do nothing but discourage us, they defeat us, they disparage our faith. And then sometimes these scorecards, and this is probably the worst, sometimes these scorecards make us aim just for the wrong thing. They have us shooting in the wrong basket. They have us um, shooting for things, aiming for things, going for things that we find out just don't really count. They don't actually matter as much as we thought they do. They don't count. And so what we're going to look at this morning, and it's kind of the topic of our little three part series here, um, we're going to look at one simple statement that really gives us the scorecard that we need allowing us to like measure ourselves, um, to know what we're aiming for, what we're shooting for, and we're shooting for the only thing that counts. So this passage comes from one of Paul's letters, the letter to the Galatians. Paul, if you don't know who he is, he's the Apostle Paul. Um, he was a first century missionary, pastor, church founder. He He became a follower of Jesus a few years after Jesus died and was raised from the dead. um, Paul was going one way with his life. He was very religious. He was um, very Jewish, very educated, and he was actually persecuting people who followed Jesus. Jesus met him um, after Jesus had risen from the dead and changed Paul's life and then basically said to Paul, you were going to go around the eastern Mediterranean. You were going to start churches. You're going to make Christians. You're going to make communities of people who go out and make Christians. And so that's what Paul did. He would spend weeks, months, years with churches um, to try to get them up off the ground, to kind of get them going, to establish leadership. And then he would go away. And what he would do is he would send letters uh, to and from the churches that he was a part of, basically to encourage them, to correct them, to tell them what to do or where to go. And um, that's what this letter is, the letter to the Galatians. About half of the New Testament is these kinds of letters um, from Paul, but also from people like Peter and John and James. And so, this is a letter he sent to a church in an uh, in, in, in area called Galatia, which is in modern day Turkey. Um, they had a particular problem, which I'll get into. But here is what he has to say uh, in Galatians. This is in the fifth chapter of Galatians. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. So, when he says, For in Christ Jesus, here's what he means by that, really quickly. Um, He means that because of Jesus, after Jesus, as in Jesus is born, Jesus lives, he teaches, he does his miracles, he dies on the cross, and he's raised from the dead, Um, and you put your faith in this man. You believe in him. That's what for in Christ Jesus means. Uh, Because of Jesus, and you believe in Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Now, circumcision, you know what that is. I'm not a doctor. So I don't need to go into the actual mechanics of it, but you basically know what that is. Um, In those days, circumcision was was really uh, one of the most important thing Jewish boys did at that time. It was something that um, all of the men did when they were young. Uh, They didn't do it when they were older, unless you were a convert, which was a much more painful experience than um, our conversion these days. That was a joke. Um, In those days, though, they did this really for like two reasons out of the same reason. Um, To show that they were a part of God's people. To show that they were Jewish. To show that they were kind of on God's side. um, But also, in order to like make themselves right with God. In order to like make themselves um, have, have the thing that made it so that God could welcome them. So that so that they were a part of God's people. If, if you were a Jewish boy and you weren't circumcised, um, you were going to be excluded. That wasn't, that wasn't the way things could go. And they had other rules like that, not just circumcision. They had things like food laws, like um, eating kosher, not eating pigs and things like that. They had rules like um, Sabbath, right? Like the Jewish people worked six days a week and on the seventh they didn't work and they devoted that time to God. These were all Outward signs that you were a part of God's people, but these were also things that you did to ensure your place um, with God. What Paul is saying here is that without Jesus, before Jesus, those things counted. Those things meant something. But now, Paul is saying here, after Jesus, because of Jesus, they don't count for anything. Those aren't the things that work any longer. Those aren't the things that show you're in God's people. Um, And this was a huge issue in the Galatians church. And here's why. When Paul came to the Galatians, he he told them those things don't count anymore. And here's here's the only thing that actually matters when it comes to this. It's Jesus. You don't do anything to make yourself in. You don't do anything to make yourself acceptable. You don't do anything to make God love you. Um, The only thing that matters there is, is God, what God does. And the Galatians believe that. And they, and they went forward with it. Paul left, other, other people, other teachers came in and started preaching a different message, a, a different gospel, and part of that message was to say, yes, Jesus matters, yes, that's important, but you also have to do circumcision. You also have to do the food laws. You also have to do Sabbath. You also have to do things like that. It's not just Jesus any longer in, this, in these false teachers' minds. It's Jesus and these things. What this is about, when it comes down to it, is what's on the Galatians scorecard. What's on that scorecard for these Galatians? For Paul, it was Jesus. For these teachers, it was um, Jesus and circumcision and food laws and Sabbath. It was it was basically about um, the things that you can do to make yourself right with God. The things that you can do to get yourself on God's team, in God's family. And to all of these things, Paul is saying, absolutely not. And I wonder when you imagine what's on your faith scorecard. Are there things like that on your scorecard? Things that you know you have to do in order to make yourself okay with God. In order to make yourself on God's team. Things like this. Um, if I avoid doing this one thing, then I, then I know that God will love me. If I keep doing that thing, God can't possibly forgive me. It's that one thing that matters, that one thing that counts. Um, or maybe it's things like this. Uh, I know that if I do more good than bad, the scales will tip in my favor, and then I'll be on God's side, on God's team. Kind of like a karma type thing. Maybe there's something that you know that you can do to make yourself good enough for God. I know that a lot of us come from backgrounds where we have to actually do something called penance in order to become right with God again. And you might have given up that practice, but maybe in your head there's a sort of imaginary penance that you have to do in order to be back on God's team. Like circumcision in that context, if that is what is on your scorecard, if that is what is part of your faith scorecard, you have to throw that scorecard away. Or you have to erase that card. Or you have to cross it off. Because there is nothing that we can do to put ourselves in the right with God. It doesn't count. The only thing that makes us right with God is God. And this is how Paul basically starts his letter. Um, He basically says to them, you know, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ um, who gave himself For our sins to set us free, who gave himself on the cross to set us free. This is all God's doing. He gave himself to set us free. And then Paul continues to say, if this isn't the case, if it's not all on God, if circumcision counts, Paul says, then Jesus died for nothing. Think about that. If there's any performance aspect that can go on your scorecard, that can win you points with God, then Jesus died for nothing, Paul says. And that's Dramatic language. So if that's on your scorecard, get rid of it. Throw it away, erase it, cross it off. That's circumcision. It's also interesting though that Paul also says that uh, uncircumcision also doesn't count. And what is uncircumcision? I mean, it's not circumcision, right? So it's not doing that. Um, Here's what uncircumcision means. In that community, there were two kinds of people. Actually, yeah there, were, yeah, there were two kinds of people. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. That was just a moment of me thinking through this idea without... Let me start, let me start that again. Um, in that community, there were two kinds of people. There was Jews and there were Gentiles, right? Um, Jews were the people who, who, who were doing circumcision. Gentiles were the people who weren't. Paul came in and said, all that doesn't count anymore. And then there were two kinds of people. People who believed Paul and who went forward with that. And then um, people who believed these teachers, and didn't go forward with that. So uh, the circumcision people, those were those people. The uncircumcision people, these were the people who got it. These were the people who got what Paul was doing. These were the people who who had the more um, uh, advanced knowledge, who had the wisdom, who had the understanding. That was the right understanding that Paul had. And in any situation where there's two kinds of people, one who gets it, and who's progressive, and who is smarter, and then one who doesn't get it, and who's primitive, um, what's always going to happen is this group of people is going to look down on this group of people, right? And so what this was, was Paul saying, um, because you get it, because you understand, because you think uncircumcision is the way to go, that doesn't count either. Getting it is not um, a metric you measure your faith by. And here's why that matters for us, I think. I think we as Christians have a tendency to look uh, over the fence at other Christians' faith or at other churches. And we have a tendency to look down our nose at them and say, we get it. But they don't. Look at how primitive they are. They still wear suits and ties on Sundays and we wear flannels, right? Um That's kind of silly, but, like, it's actually the way things work. Like, we have a tendency to look down on people um, who are more conservative than we are because we've progressed. Or we have a tendency to look down at people who are more progressive than we are because we're more conservative because we're, you know, because we get it. Um, Neither of those two things are necessarily bad, and there's probably um, right and wrong in there. But that, as a marker of faith, as a measurement of faith, it it just doesn't count. Um, we get it, or I get it, and he doesn't get it, they don't get it, that's never something that we should rate ourselves on. It doesn't count. It doesn't matter. It means nothing, as Paul says. And so what does mean something? What does count, to use Paul's word? Um, And here's what counts. The only thing that counts, Paul says, is faith working through love. It's not what you can do for yourself, to make yourself right, that's circumcision, it's not getting it, having a deeper wisdom that other people, that doesn't get you, that that doesn't count either. In fact, it's not something, and this is important, it's not something that counts that makes you right with God. It's about what counts now that God has made you right with him. I'll say that again. It's not about something that counts to make you right with God. It's about what counts now that, you, that, that God has made you right with him. What Paul calls faith working through love. Not to get you in, but because you're in. Because of what God has done for you. Now, what matters? And here's what's surprising about what Paul has to say. We might expect him to say, one of the things that counts. Or we might expect him to say, here's a super important thing. Or maybe even the most important thing. Um, The thing that counts the most. But he doesn't say that. He says the only thing that counts is faith working through love. And here is why I bring that up. Because um, if this is on our scorecard um, amongst other things, we will neglect this one. Because it's the hardest one to actually do. Um, We will find a way to do other things and not do this. Paul leaves us no room for that. This is truly the only thing that counts, faith working through love. And so I want to pick that apart a little bit here. When Paul says faith, um, it's not, and we've talked about this in the past, it's not um, a mental assent or agreement with a certain set of propositions um, that you have to believe are true. This is not an inventory of doctrinal beliefs. It's also not... um, a subjective mental attitude. It's not something that you can convince yourself of or trick yourself uh, into thinking. It's not believing the right things or, or making yourself believe the right thing or pretending you believe the right things. What faith is, when Paul talks about faith, it is trust in God through a relationship with God that's lived out in real life. That's what faith is. It's um, entrusting yourself into God's hands into God's purposes, into God's direction for you through a relationship with him as that's lived out in real life, as your life looks different because of faith. That's what what faith is. When Paul says working, um, it comes from the Greek word energeo, which is where we get our word energy from. And so when Paul says faith working through, here's what he means. He means uh, love that is powered by faith. Love whose source, um, whose energy comes from faith, which is from God's power. That's what what that working means. It's also translated um, faith expressing itself in love. And then love, we talk about this a bunch. Love is not a romantic feeling. Um, It's not a feeling at all. Love is a pattern of self-giving that is really based on, modeled off of Jesus. Jesus and his death for us. That's what love is. It's not a feeling, it's an action. It's something that you do in following Jesus' example. Um, You're self-giving. And we're going to dig into really what love is next week. Love, here, it doesn't add to faith. It doesn't determine it. It's not a thing you do in order to have faith. Rather, what Paul is driving at here is, it is the natural expression of faith. It is the work of faith. It is the... um, the thing that faith does, it's faith working through love, and it's the only thing that counts. Because you trust in God, the result is love for others. That's very simple, very easy, but very hard for us, um, I think, to live out day to day. But that's, that's what that means. I want to take some time, though, to point out one thing that Paul doesn't say here. Paul doesn't say that the only thing that counts is faith, period. That's where I think a lot of us stop. Here's what I think that means. I think for a lot of people um, who are out there in the world and who look over the fence at what we're doing in here, not just us at Park Church, but the church in general, right? They look over the fence at Christians and say, what do they care about? They care about the right words. They care about the right interpretation of the Bible. They care about the right beliefs. They care about the right votes. Um, They care about the prayer. They care about what happens on Sundays. They care about these uh, faith things. They care about talking the talk, but they don't care that much about walking the walk. And as the world looks over the fence at us, what that leaves them with is um, A, uninspired, B, puzzled. Because Jesus was all about walking the walk um, rather than just talking the talk. For us, As Christians, for those of us who are Christians here, Um, and sometimes, especially for us who have been Christians for a long time, that scorecard might get filled up with all sorts of um, evidence-producing faith metrics, right? Like, I believe the right things, and so I get four stars out of five. I have a deep, meaningful prayer life. That's five stars out of five. I read the Bible every day. I know it inside and out. You can quiz me on it. Five out of five stars. I worship uh, every day, twice on Sundays, heart open, eyes closed, hands lifted, loud singing. Five stars. Listen, all of those things are really good things. Really good things. But they don't count. It's faith working through love that counts. And you need those things for faith. But those aren't the things that belong on your scorecard. Those aren't the metrics by which you measure your faith. It is possible for us to be doing all of the prayers, to be reading all of the Bible, to be worshiping all of the worship, (laughs) and still to be getting it all wrong, to be missing the mark completely. And if you think I'm wrong about this, um. Let me introduce you to a man named Amos. Amos was an Old Testament prophet. The prophets basically spoke for God. There was a time where Amos was prophesying and um, God, God looked at his people Israel. He looked at them. He looked at their singing. He looked at their offerings. He looked at what they were doing. He looked at their worship services, the way they used scripture. He looked at them and he said to them, I hate it. I hate what you're doing. Can you imagine in your quiet time or uh, in your Bible reading or on Sunday morning, God looking at us right now and saying, what you guys are doing, I hate it. I hate this. That's exactly right. Listen to what God says through Amos. He said, I hate, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. That's boring worship. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Uh, And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. Can you imagine God saying that to the band after they sit down? Not going to listen to that anymore. Why does God hate their worship so much? The next line. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You might might recognize that passage from Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, letter from a Birmingham jail, right? The situation in the South, in the nation, um, was the white Christians were talking the talk, but they were not walking the walk. They were not loving um, their neighbors, Um, Amos will go on to say, neglecting justice. Here's what it looks like. Trampling the needy. Bringing ruin to the poor. It was all of the faith in the world, but not the love to go with it. And if you don't believe Amos, because you never heard of him, you've heard of Isaiah. You open the book of Isaiah, the very first chapter. He says, God says the same thing through Isaiah. He says, your offerings, your incense, worthless. An abomination. God says, my soul, God's soul hates your festivals. I'm tired of them. Listen to what um, Isaiah says from God. When you stretch out your hands, either in worship or in offering sacrifices, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. And then here's, here's how. Learn to do good. Seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. What God was saying to his people is, you've got the faith part right, but in getting the faith part right, you've gotten the love part wrong, which means you have gotten the faith part completely wrong. It is worthless and abomination, and I hate it. And if you think that's harsh, it is harsh. If you wanna dismiss that, because it's just Old Testament prophets saying Old Testament prophety things, um, This isn't the only place that Paul gives this exact idea. You all know the very famous passage from 1 Corinthians um, because you had it read at your wedding or you've been to a wedding where you've had it read, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious, boastful, arrogant, and rude. Wonderful, sparkling, shining definition of what love is all about. But do you remember what's before that and what's after it? Paul says, look, Guys, if I speak in tongues of mortals or of angels, and by that he means if I pray all the prayers, if I have the language that God can hear and say all the things, but if I don't love, I am like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Think about what a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal do in the context of music. It just makes it worthless. It ruins everything. He says, if I have prophetic powers, if I get it, If I understand all the mysteries and have all the knowledge, he says, even if I have faith to move mountains, but don't have love, do you remember what he says? I am nothing. Without love, faith, the faith to move mountains is nothing. All the prayers, all the knowledge, the spiritual skills, the gold stars we accumulate for Bible quizzes, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, it's all going to go away. It doesn't count. It doesn't last. The only thing that counts is love. Those things matter. Those things count. And they matter and count a lot as long as, if and only if, they result in love, in concrete, self-giving love for others. That, very simply, is what goes on your scorecard of faith. What I'm getting at with all of this is what I'll call the difference between vertical and horizontal faith. Vertical faith is all of the stuff between me and God, the prayer, the Bible reading, um, the deeper knowledge, the beliefs. It's all good and it's all important. The horizontal is what that does for people, the love for others. What we have a tendency to do is fill up our scorecard with all of the vertical at the expense of the horizontal. And what happens then is when we wanna go deeper in faith, We do more of the vertical. We do more of the scripture, more of the prayer, more of the worship. But without love for others, we are absolutely missing the point, missing the mark. And if you don't believe Amos and Isaiah and don't believe um, Paul, maybe you'll believe Jesus because he said the same thing, not in these words. He said, um, you want the greatest commandment? And Rich said it in the prayer. Love God, love your neighbor. They go together. If you're looking to go deeper in faith, you might want to turn towards um, a new rich prayer experience. Not a bad thing. You might want to turn towards um, reading the Bible more differently. And we want that too. We give you the Bible card to have you read it every day. That, that's where you might turn. And those things are important. You might want to turn towards complicated ideas, dense theology, because that's how you can understand God better. And I am all for that. You should see the books on my shelf. But it is important for us to know that there is absolutely nothing deeper than loving where you haven't loved before, in ways that you haven't been stretched yet to love, to give of yourself in ways that you didn't think you could, to follow Jesus in his self-giving, self-sacrificing, loving ways, in ways that challenge you, that stretch you, that grow you. Doing well on a faith scorecard um, isn't about knowledge, spiritual skills, making yourself right, or getting things right. It's not the vertical in and of itself. It is the continued expression of the vertical through the horizontal. Love for others. It's loving your neighbors, your coworkers, your spouse, people who are disadvantageous for you to love. Loving wherever you find yourself. It's loving where you live. That's why we have it painted um, on the wall out there, and we have it on t-shirts and coffee mugs, because this is what we want um, things to be about. You going out and loving where you live. Now, this is the part of the message where I would explain uh, in great detail what it actually means for your faith to work with love. I would give you examples. Um, I would tell you a story. I'm not going to do that, because starting in February, we're going to do an eight-week series on that. And it's called Love Where You Live, and there's an accompanying book that goes along with it that we'll talk about and open up in community groups. And it will basically be eight weeks on how can we love our neighbors differently? How can we love our families differently, our coworkers, our classmates, the people who we work with? Um, because this is the thing that actually counts. And so uh, please get into a community group and do that with us this winter. Um, and get about the only thing that counts. So for now, here's what I want you to do, though. I want you to take out your scorecard, which you've been sitting on or you've been fiddling with all morning and you haven't known what to do with. It looks like this. It looks like that. It's right up there. Um, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a pen. And in that first box up there, that top box, I want you to write the only thing that counts uh, is um, faith working through love. That's the thing that counts. And then under it, there in the left column, um, you'll see those two gray boxes. Here's what I want you to do with those two. I want you to think, for the top one, I want you to think about someone who's close to you. Think about someone who's under your roof. Think about um, someone who's a good friend of yours. Um, and write their name on it. Someone who you need to be loving differently because of what you believe about God. And write their name on it. The bottom one, I want you to think about someone who's not so close to you. Um, Someone who maybe you work with. A kid who goes to your school with you. Someone who's in college with you. Um, someone who's in your neighborhood, but you don't really know yet. And here's what I want you to do with this. I want you to take this home with you and put it on your fridge or put it on your mirror, um, put it on your dashboard, take a photo of it, and put it on the, put it on the background of your phone. Um, and for the next three weeks, for the length of this series, here's what I want you to do. I want you to work on, on on seeing your faith express itself through love for these two people. And here's the deal. Last week, if you gave yourself a one star out of five, that's good. This week, shoot for two stars out of five, or shoot for three stars. So that next week, you'll be shooting for four stars. And two weeks from now, you'll be shooting for five stars. And here is the thing that you will find. You will find that as you attempt this, you will not have the power within yourself to do it. You will not have the ability to do this of your own. And so what you will be forced to do is trust in God for it and ask God for it and rely on God for it. So what you will be forced to do is pray more that you'll be able to love these two people because you want to choose people who aren't easy to love maybe. Um, What you want to do is you want to seek Scripture differently in order to find out what God is saying to you about and for these two people. When you do this, you will go deeper in faith than anything that I know of. Love God, love your neighbor. This is the only thing that counts. Put this on your dashboard, put it on your mirror, whatever it is, bring it home. Um, you, you know, it's, it's just a tool. This is not like an actual scorecard thing that you can like um, get into heaven with. Like, like this is just a tool to help you focus, to help focus your faith really on the thing that matters, on the only thing that counts. Um, and if by the end of these three weeks, and then by the end of the Love Where You Live series, uh, if we have a community of men and women and children who are loving differently, loving more, loving more intensely, loving widely, loving more deeply because of the work that we do with, with tools like this, then that's a success. Because what we want to be here at Park Church is not a community that exists for itself, but a community that exists for the world around um, uh, in word and in deed, in faith and in love, um, in thought, in action. And so uh, please join me doing this and join me in prayer. God, we thank you for the clarity that you bring uh, through your word. The only thing that counts is faith through love. So Lord, for those of us struggling with faith, we pray that you would um, supply us with that faith. We pray that you would... uh, well it up within us, grow it within us. If there are things that are preventing us from having that faith, that works itself out through love, we pray that you would um, take down those barriers, open, open the doors for us, open those windows. Lord, we pray for this community as we step out into the world, uh, as we step out to love differently. For these two people who we have in mind. Um, On our cards, we pray, God, that you would give us compassion to love differently. Give us energy to love differently. Lord, give us courage to do it. If we need humility, give us humility. If there's reconciliation and forgiveness to be had, we pray that you would um, work that in us and through us to make that happen. Lord, we want to be a people who are all about what you want for us. And what you want for us, love God Love your neighbor. The only thing that counts is faith, working through love. And so we pray that you would build this community towards that end as we continue uh, to sing and praise you now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.